I received many requests to do another round of hymns this summer. So that's what we are going to start this morning. Now, if you weren't here last summer or if you slept since then, let me spend a little extra time explaining why we're doing this. Because the reason we're going to go through these hymns isn't because you guys need a break from the Bible or I want to try to scare off all the visitors. What, what this really is is a series on how to worship and how worship is related to music. Worship we get, but many of us don't understand its intended relationship, let's say, to, to music. We think music is something separate from worship, but it's not. So while I'm going to grow this list that I'm going to give you now, I want to start with two principles to warm you up for this series. First principle is this. Music helps us respond to God. It's the first principle. Music helps us respond to God. Now, our culture would tell us that the qualification for, for good music is something that, that generates uh, uh, or creates in us something emotional. And that's true, but it's incomplete. Music can stimulate very deep emotions. But what our culture, and unfortunately too many in the church, miss is that it's not the music that should be doing the heavy emotional lifting. That's the work of the Word of God and sound doctrine and spiritual truth. In other words, music should elicit an emotional response, but the music shouldn't be generating the emotions. The music is only the vehicle through which the emotions that have already been generated are released. Let me say that again. The music is only the vehicle through which the emotions that have already been generated are released. Picture you and I are going to go on a hike. And we show up to this place and we start to get ready, put my shoes on and get my glasses. And then all of a sudden I reach into the car and I grab a hose, rolled up hose, and I put it over my shoulder. And you start to ask some questions like, what's going on with that? And, and, and eventually you would ask, what's going on with the hose? To which I would answer, well, it's in case I get thirsty. And you would say, well, I don't think that's how that works. And, 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 and I say, well, when I get thirsty, I'll just unroll my hose and get a drink of water. That's how it works. And, and eventually you would have to explain to me that the hose does not generate water. The hose is simply a vehicle for the water to pass through. And, and like a hose is, is just that vehicle, God has uniquely created music to be a vehicle through which praise and worship passes. We read the Word of God, we listen to sound preaching, and the Spirit begins to build an emotional response up in our heart like water behind a spigot. And when we sing, it's like you hooked a hose up to that spigot and turned it on and released that praise that was produced by the Word of God. So that's the first thing. Music helps us respond to God by being a vehicle through which the emotions that are generated by the Word of God are released. Second, the second principle to get you warmed up for this series is this. Doxology on Sunday preserves the theology for Monday. Now, you're going to hear me say this several times throughout this series, so let me explain what that means. Doxology is just a big word for, for praise or worship or music. 
And theology is a big word for, for the truth of God, the truth about God. So another, another way to say this is that the songs on Sunday preserve the truth of God for the rest of the week in our hearts and in our minds. It's obvious when you think about it. You can memorize something, you can memorize a song much easier than you can just memorize information. Think about it this way. Why do advertisers use a jingle instead of just a phrase? And even if they translate that phrase into a different language, why do they keep the same jingle? It's because advertisers have tapped into this truth that, that God has created music to be kind of like tape. It, it allows information to stick to us. That, that can be a good thing or a bad thing, though, because music by itself is just sticky. It can stick anything to us. It can stick good theology or bad theology. It can stick good things and bad things. Like how many times have you found yourself... Meow, 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 meow. You get it stuck to you. You can't get it out. That's what music does. Music can stick good theology or bad theology. So that's why we have to guard the theology of our music, of our, of our, of our worship library. Because here's what's happening too often in our culture today, especially in the church. Churches pay tons of money for, for professional musicians, so the music sounds great. In other words, it's very sticky. However, it contains terrible doctrine, and that's what gets stuck or, or memorized. So it's no wonder that so many Christians in America believe things like, God saved us because heaven was going to be boring, or, 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 or he needed us there for heaven to be worth something. Or they believe things like God's sole purpose for existence is to bless your life. And he's working fervently to make sure you, you don't experience any discomfort. That's the kind of theology that is rampant in our culture in part because that theology is rampant in so many good or sticky songs. But theological music, it holds hands with the truth of God. And, and allows us to not only release that genuine emotion that has been built up, but also to retain the truth that, 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 that was in the word of God that we heard, the, the true theology. So that's more than enough for this morning. But the first principle is that music helps us uh, respond to God and it helps us memorize or retain the theology of, the, of, a, of Sunday uh, for, for the rest of the week. So before we get to our text, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we uh, just sang, I, I wish we could keep going, and I know we will in heaven, just singing how great Thou art. Father, I pray this morning that You would illuminate our hearts and our minds to the truth in Your Word. And I pray, Lord, that You would stick that truth to our hearts and our souls with this music in a way that uh, we can't let go of it. Put it on our hearts and our minds this week. Allow us to find ourselves singing when we don't realize it. Allow us to, to find ourselves thinking about you, even if we don't realize it. Father, we can do this because of our Savior Jesus, and so it's in his name that I pray. Amen. Now, if you were with us last summer, you'll remember that, that, that we'll handle these hymns in one of two ways. Some of these hymns take a theme out of Scripture and, and they'll draw from several different scriptures. And then there are other hymns that are based solely on one passage, which is the text this morning. 
Uh, so so the, the, the hymn this morning. So if you want to start heading to Psalm 148 in your Bible, that's where we're going to be hanging out. And uh, if, you, if you want to know, flip to the middle of your Bible and start going to the left and you'll run into the Psalms. An interesting thing about this hymn, All Creatures of Our God and King, is the one that we're doing this morning, is that it is perhaps the second oldest hymn in modern rotation. Giovanni Bernardone. You've got to say it Italian. Is. Giovanni Bernardone was born in 1182 in Assisi, Italy, to Pietro di Bernardone. That was his dad. A wealthy silk merchant and his wife, Pica. In 1202, he joined the military and was taken prisoner in a little town called Perugia and, and held there for a year. And he, and he almost died from illness. But while he was held in this prison, he said that, that he received a vision from God that would change the rest of his life. However, at that particular moment, God was mum on exactly how his life would change. So a few years later in 1205... Giovanni was in Rome selling his family's cloth when a poor man came up and was begging him for money. And, and he was so sure that this was what God intended him to do. The history tells us he abandoned his dad's stall, gave all the money he had with him to this poor person and went on for the rest of his life serving the poor. About the same time, he heard a sermon from Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus told his disciples to go out and tell the people about the kingdom of, the, uh, kingdom of heaven that's at hand and to take with them nothing. And this sermon affected him so greatly that he spent the rest of his life in poverty, working to reform the church uh, for their infatuation with money. On one occasion, his friends asked if he ever thought about getting married. And his answer was, and I paraphrase because I don't think anybody here speaks 13th century Italian, but he said, absolutely, to lady poverty, a, a fairer bride than any of you can imagine. Over the course of his life, he established two different orders within the church. One for the women was called the Order of Poor Clares, and one for the men that you've probably heard of, still around to this day, is called the Franciscans. You've probably heard of Franciscan monks who are known to this day for two things, that were based on, uh, they were hallmarks of their founder. They're known for poverty and for chanting, or we would call that singing. Which brings us to our hymn this morning. We no, non, we no longer know this man by, by his birth name of Giovanni Bernardone. We know him by his canonized name of St. Francis of Assisi. And the one thing he is still known for to this day is singing. And the poem that, that became this hymn, he wrote somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 1205. He spent the last several years of his life in blindness at a, at a, at a convent where the nuns took care of him. And, and those nuns said until the day he died, they could hear him preaching and singing all around the convent. The interesting thing about St. Francis, though, was not that he was preaching and singing, it was his audience. The nuns said that they often heard him in the garden singing and preaching to the birds and the animals and the other creatures. Exhorting them to praise God. Let me paraphrase a part of a sermon he gave to some birds. He said, my little sisters, the birds, you owe so much to God, your creator, 
that you ought to sing his praises at all times and in all places. He has given you liberty to fly about like no other creature. He has given you beautiful plumage for clothing, seeds to eat, and rivers and streams from which to drink. Your creator cared for you so much that he commanded Noah to include a pair of you on the ark so you would not be lost to the world. Beware, my little sisters, of the sin of ingratitude, and always give your praise to God. Now, I don't know how many times I've said that last part to my kids, but I don't think I've ever said anything like that to birds. Before we say, wow, a sermon to birds, this guy really was special. Let's look at our text because his theology might not be as far off as we think. In, in, in Psalm 148, look at verse 3. The psalmist commands the sun and the moon to praise. In verse 4, he commands the highest heavens and the waters above the heavens to praise. If you drop down to verse 7, he, command, he commands the sea creatures in the deeps to praise. He even commands fire and hail and snow to praise. He commands the mountains in verse 9 and the fruit trees to praise, beasts and livestock to praise, kings and peoples to praise. So it seems that St. Francis of Assisi had something in common with the Psalms. So what I want to do is I want to go all the way back to the top of this psalm, all the way back to the beginning, and I want to see if it's we that need to adjust our view of praise and worship. Because that's why I wanted to use this particular hymn to kick off this series. As, as we get started with this summer series on, on hymns, the first thing I want to do is simply alter your entire perspective on worship. No biggie. I want to completely transform your view of worship. And, and don't get worried. That doesn't mean I'm time to bring out the, the, the golden calves and, you know, something weird. I'm not talking about that. What I mean is that our perspective, our, our comprehension, our awareness even of worship is way too small. And fair warning, to do this, what we're going to do this morning especially, I'm going to need to ask you to use your imaginations. You guys say, wait, but Pastor Grant, this is a Reformed church. I didn't think we were allowed to use our imaginations. No. That's why God gave us imaginations, so that we can understand, even begin to understand, and comprehend who He is. The whole reason He gave us imaginations is so that we can understand something or someone bigger than reality. Look back to our psalm. This psalm is broken up into three parts. You'll notice in verse 1, the second line, he says, Praise the Lord from the heavens. Skip down to verse 7. And then he says, Praise the Lord from the earth. And then in verse 13, he finally says, Let them, meaning heaven and earth, praise the name of the Lord. Why? Because his majesty is above heaven and earth. So those are the three different sections. And if you want to know how this psalm is, the, the tone of this psalm. Here it is. Look at all the exclamation points. Let your eyes just drift down the page and simply count all the exclamation points you see. Verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him all His angels. Praise Him all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. This psalm is intended to be read with some volume. It's a cosmic command. 
not a little room. But here's what I find interesting about these opening verses is this. Everywhere you look in the Bible, it doesn't matter where. When a man comes into contact with an angel, it freaks him out. Bad. The angel has to tell him to get up and stop worshiping, worshiping him because he's not God. In fact, in, at the end of Revelation, when John says, I saw these things and I fell down at the feet to worship this angel that was giving him the tour. The, the angel said in Revelation 22, and I paraphrase this, but, but the angel said, John, seriously, dude, you got to stop doing that. Get up. I'm not the Lord. Yet here in Psalm 148, what I find interesting is that this psalmist seems to have no problem commanding the heavenly hosts to worship. Here's why I think he's okay with that. From the perspective, from the perspective of, of one created being to the next, there is no hierarchy of command when it comes to praising God. Let me say this differently. When, when in the presence of God, the lowliest creature can command the greatest creature to praise the Lord, and the only thing the greatest creature would do is agree. In the presence of God, the command to praise Him, it's not a rebuke, it's just a simple statement of truth. And it erases all hierarchy. There's nothing else to do. In the presence of God, a command to praise the Lord will not be met with, you can't tell me what to do. No, in the presence of the Lord, a command to praise the Lord from any created being to another will be met with the loudest alleluia that one can muster. But now here's where I want to try to begin to transform your perspective on worship. <clears throat> when it comes to the created order, this command to praise the Lord, this exhorting to glorify Him. It goes for inanimate objects as well as animate objects. Look again at verse 3. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, stars. Praise Him, highest heavens and water above the heavens. It almost sounds kind of like, you might even say maybe a little Native American or, or mystic. But when I hear that, I get this weird picture in my mind of how do you command an inanimate object to praise the Lord? I picture myself like going out in my yard and just picking one of the trees and standing there like, praise him, praise him, like I'm trying to tell my dog to sit or something. This got me thinking about exactly how much chutzpah this psalmist had to tell these massive heavenly beings to praise the Lord. And here's what I found. Get ready to realize how little you are. I found this little piece. If the earth were a size of a golf ball, scientists have found stars that would be the size of Mount St. Helens. Let that sink in. If the earth was a little golf ball, inch and a half wide, Scientists have found stars that are over 24,000 feet in diameter. Now, what does that say about the size of you and I on that golf ball? 
Yet here's this psalmist demanding that those massive heavenly bodies praise the Lord. So here's the point. Whether you go stand in front of a tree or a rock or, or peer into the depths of space for the largest star you can find, when you tell them to praise Him, guess what? They obey. Because that's what they're already doing. If we command the stars to worship, they don't say, you can't tell me what to do. If we command the stars to worship, they say, I already am. What are you doing? Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of the Lord, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Psalm 66.4 says, All the earth worships you and, and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Why? Because that's what they were created to do. Look at verse 5. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. It is not possible for the universe to not praise God. It will not change until God decides to erase the universe. Now watch how this truth is reflected in the first stanza of our hymn this morning. All creatures of our God and King... Lift up your voice with us and sing. Oh, praise Him. Alleluia. Thou burning sun with golden beam. Thou silver moon with softer gleam. Oh, praise Him. Oh, praise Him. And what's the sun and moon's response? Alleluia. 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 Have you ever thought about simply walking outside your door and commanding the sun to praise God? We don't think about it that way. That's just a ball of liquid, you know, rock that floats around the, you know, the universe and warms us up. It's no. Think about it this way. Anything, anything, anything that you can sense with your eyes or your ears or your tongue or your nose, anything that you can sense was created for the sole purpose of glorifying God. It is a very biblical thing. To walk outside at night and to say to the stars, praise God, as long as you join them. Now, as we move forward, I want you to picture this psalmist outside, like I said. And, and as he works through this concept of praise, his gaze is going to go from far to near. He's working down and inward. He's working from distant to close. Watch, after speaking about the heavens and the stars, the psalmist lowers his gaze from the heavens to the earth. And he writes, look at verse 7. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. So, just like the massive bodies of rock and gas and liquid in space, as He lowers His gaze to, to earth, the same goes for these creatures on earth. But again, I want to reorient your perspective on worship. 
commanding kings and queens, commanding people to worship. We kind of get that because we have a free will and, and that's what we are supposed to do. But again, notice the difference between our perspective on worship and the psalmists. Think about this with me. When we think about worship, we, we generally think of worship in two categories. We, we think that there's the one category of those that have free will that can worship because they want to. And then, and then, and then we think of this other category of, of these inanimate objects that are just neutral. They're just the backdrop for our lives. They sustain us and they do things, but, but they're just objects. The psalmist does not see that distinction when it comes to worship. He not only commands mountains and trees and sea creatures and livestock and mankind all to worship, he even commands the elements of hail and snow and wind to worship. Look what he says in verse 8. Fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word. The elements of our world are worshiping God because it's doing what he tells them to do. According to the psalmist, if you have been created, if, if, if in any way, shape, or form you are in the made category, animate or inanimate, your purpose is to praise the one who made you. Period. That's it. Look at the second stanza of our hymn. He says, Let all things their creator bless, and worship him in humbleness. They're, they're, they're creatures. Oh, praise him, hallelujah. Praise, praise the Father, praise the Son, and praise the Spirit, three in one. Oh, praise him, oh, praise him. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. But okay. You guys got that. I've drilled it into you. Rock, tree, person, star, created to glorify and praise God. Does that mean that there is nothing special about us? Does that mean that there's no difference between a rock and a human? No. Watch as the psalmist's gaze is again focused even closer. In fact, he goes inward on a special group in creation. Look back at verse 13. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above, the, above earth and heaven. So that's why the, the, the creation out there is supposed to praise him. And then he says in verse 14, He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints. For the people of Israel who are near to him, praise the Lord. So not only does all creation, animate and inanimate, not only do they all worship God because His majesty is above all creation, but we, you and I, join this psalmist in, in, in a special place within that created order. This is what Peter was talking about when he said in 1 Peter chapter 1, he began in verse 10. He said, concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So the prophets who wrote the, the, the prophets in the book, in the Bible, they were dying to know who they were talking about. And then verse 12, he says, It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, 
in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And here's what I want you to see. Things into which angels even long to look. Or when the Pharisees asked Jesus why he didn't correct the people that were praising him on the road when he was riding the donkey into Jerusalem. And he answered them. This is what Jesus meant when he said in Luke chapter 19, verse 40. I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Meaning, these people have a special reason to praise me. They should be praising me. That's why the rocks are being quiet now. Because these people hold a different category. You see, there's something about you and I that is different from the stars and the mountains and the trees and the water and the rain. It's something that even angels don't understand. Verse 14, he has raised up a horn for his people. He has raised up praise for all his saints. Rocks didn't sin. Rain didn't sin. Mountains didn't sin. Stars didn't sin. In fact, rocks and mountains and stars are still doing their job. Praising God. It's mankind that sinned. It's you and I that sinned. We are the ones who demolished and, and, and corrupted nature. It's you and I that forsook the glory of the Lord and started worshiping the creator, the creation instead of the creator. It was our sin that condemned creation. Yet God raised up a horn, which is another way in the Bible of saying um, a strength or a champion or a victory. He raised up a comfort. He raised up a strength for his people. Verse 14 says, a horn has been raised up, not for rocks, not for stars, not for rain. It says that a horn has been raised up, not even for angels. A horn has been raised up for his people. That's you and I. And that horn has positioned us in a special place among the created order of worship because that horn is Jesus Christ. When you and I were dead in our sins, God, because of his great mercy and because of his mercy alone, made us alive in Christ. That sets us apart from every single other thing that has ever been created. A wholly separate group. Angels are looking down on you and I, and they're just, wow. There is no other creature or object in the entire universe that holds that claim. Have you been washed by the blood of Christ? Listen, if you have, this psalm says rejoice. Praise Him. So many Christians have this subtle belief that they ought to have this sort of melancholy that Jesus had to die for them. It's so sad. A regret that Jesus had to die on their behalf. But listen, God wants no part of that. Let this doxology stick this truth to your souls. The scripture calls us to rejoice in our salvation and worship Jesus because of it. It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. And that cross is what he'll be glorified for for eternity. We must not rob Jesus of that glory with some kind of subtle self-centered depression. It's so sad that Jesus had to die for me. No. Rejoice. 
this psalm says. God raised up a horn for his people, a praise for his saints, not a sorrow and certainly not a regret. As this psalmist's gaze focuses closer and closer, beginning with the stars in the universe and then drawing down to the things on the earth and then ultimately into himself, he sees this proportional increase in worship. Look at the third stanza. All the redeemed washed by his blood come and rejoice in his great love. Oh, praise him. Oh, praise him. Alleluia. Christ has defeated every sin. So cast all your burdens now on him. And oh, praise him. Oh, praise him. Alleluia. 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 Brothers and sisters in Christ, I said that all I wanted to do this morning was transform your entire view of worship. And what I mean by that is this. Before creation, there was nothing. There wasn't a blank slate for God to work with. There were no rocks or mountains or seas or fish or stars or people, of course, or wind. Not even time or gravity existed before God created it. God created every single ounce of what we experience on any given day. And, and, and of that creation, there's not a single facet that was not created to glorify God. The planets, the stars, the angels, the seas, the fish, the animals, everything, mankind, even the snow and the fire and the wind was created to, go, to glorify God. And I don't know about you, but what I find for myself is I find myself walking blindly through this creation as if it's just there and not hearing it screaming, praise God. I'm driving down the road with uh, just, just totally absorbed with all the things that I got to do. And that tree saying praise God and that rock saying praise God and that cloud saying praise God. And I'm ignoring it. Far from being odd, St. Francis of Assisi was right to exhort the birds to praise God. But standing at the front of this cosmic choir, standing at the head of this, this celestial gathering of worshipers is a special group. A group that has been collectively given an infinitely higher reason to worship than just because we were created. You and I, right here in this room, right now, stand at the front of this cosmic gathering of worshipers, leading and displaying, the rest of, displaying to the rest of creation the depths to which our God deserves to be praised and glorified. We are heavenly choral leaders. Yes, stars can praise God. We can praise Him more. Rocks and trees can praise God. We can praise Him more. Because you and I, we hold this special place because it is for us, hand-picked, undeserving group that God chose to send Jesus Christ to pay for your life with His. He didn't do that for the angels. He didn't do that for the stars. And He certainly didn't do that for rocks. And because of that special place we hold, because of that special attention we have been shown by our Creator, we, of all creation, should have such a yearning such an overwhelming desire to see him that it overflows into this praise that drowns out the rest of creation. The stars and the trees and the sky and the waters should be screaming at the top of their lungs to try to outpraise us. 
We should have this praise that drowns out the rest of creation put together when we hear this final stanza of this old, old hymn. He shall return in power to reign. Heaven and earth will join to say, oh, praise him, hallelujah. Then who shall fall on bended knee? All creatures of our God and King. So what is there left to say but, oh, praise him, oh, praise him, alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a gift we have in your word and what a gift we have in our brother, St. Francis, for writing these words from this psalm. We thank you for the way that you have inspired men to, to interpret your word and to amplify and, and praise you with your word and that you have given them to us that we can follow in their footsteps. What a gl their glorious gift they are, Lord. I pray through this hymn, Lord, that you would stick to us this truth. That everything that we experience on any given day is praising you. Father, I pray that you would grow in our hearts a desire to join that chorus instead of ignore it. To join along in the harmony of all of creation praising and worshiping you in whatever simple ways they do. That we, Lord, would, would, would take the ways that you have given us. The desire to praise you. The desire, the, the emotions that you built up in us through the, through the gift of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That we would want to turn those into worship along with the rest of creation. Father, it's in his name that I pray. Amen.